This morning we're continuing our study on how to be a first responder to the gospel, looking at the final truth that God in the gospel calls us to believe. See, according to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 42, we as human beings are called on by God to respond to his saving gospel in four primary ways. Those ways are to believe, be baptized, be added to a local church, and be building each other up in our most holy faith as the body of Christ. See, in the gospel, something huge has taken place. Therefore, how we respond next is extremely important. In fact, the scriptures say that how you respond to the gospel is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. Therefore, God calls us to first and foremost to believe, to believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to reckon it to be true and to cast your life and eternal destiny upon it. We are called to believe the gospel, and that good news is this, that according to the pages of Scripture alone, sinners like you and me who would otherwise be hopelessly condemned beneath God's wrath can be saved. How? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This is the good news, that all of us must believe if we are to have eternal life in Christ Jesus and be accepted before a holy God in heaven. This is the good news. We must believe, and once believing it, we must share it, and we must rejoice in it. That though we are sinners, God is gracious. And by His grace, He has made a way of forgiveness and salvation for us through faith in Christ Jesus. Over the last six weeks, after learning of our sin and our desperate need for salvation before God, we have looked at Scripture alone as the reliability of salvation, Christ alone as the basis of salvation, faith alone as the reception of salvation, and last week we looked at grace alone as the totality of salvation. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the sixth and final truth that God calls us in the gospel to believe, and that is the purpose of salvation is for the glory of God alone. This is the purpose of salvation. In other words, God has done everything that he has done in salvation for one ultimate reason, to bring him glory and to exalt him as the great God that he truly is. To magnify himself. And that actually drives at the heart of why all of us are here this morning in this church building. I don't know if you've ever considered it, but what we do here on Sunday mornings looks very strange to the outside world. And whether you realize it or not, there is an increasing number of people in America wondering, why on earth do you get together and do what you do the way you do it? On Sunday mornings, I wonder what answer would you give if someone asked you that question? Why are you here today? When you woke up this morning and you realized it was Sunday, what was the deciding factor that came into your mind that said, I'm going to go to church? A lot of people who come to church would say this, 
I go to church and I do what I do on Sundays because it makes me feel good. Sometimes the songs or the sermons touch me in a special way. Sometimes the service really meets the needs that I feel in my life right now and it gives me a sense of fullness and of, and of well-being and of normality when I need it the most. Now that might sound innocent enough, but what you're indirectly saying is that you're saying the reason for worship is psychological. I do it for myself. Listen, that is the opposite of worship. Worship is not that which you do for yourself. It's not psychological. Worship is that which you do for God. It is doxological. It is worship. To give Uh, To put it in terms that we'll be looking at today, worship is that which you do for the glory of God alone. You may have come to a lot of church services in your life. How many church services have you gone to where the reason why you came was to bring glory to God alone? Now, to give glory to God means this. It means to assign to God all the value, all the worth, and all the importance that he possesses and deserves. And then it means to reflect that worth through our words, our thoughts, and our actions. And this is the purpose of salvation. It is the glory of God alone. (laughs) This is the end zone. This is the destination that the gospel goes towards when we understand and believe that the good news recorded in scripture is that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone then we are catapulted into a lifelong ambition of giving glory to god alone this is why god does what he does the way he does it in his salvation so that he gets all the glory for being the worthy one that he is For all the things that he does. Now there are countless ways that this gospel results in the glory of God alone. In fact, for all of eternity, we will be singing of these reasons in heaven. I can't do that for you this morning. I cannot give you every reason why the gospel leads to the glory of God alone. But I can give you three. I can give you three, and that's what I'm going to be doing this morning. We're going to consider three ways that this salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, results in God's glory alone. First, we'll see that this gospel's unmerited grace results in God's glory alone. Second, we'll see that this gospel's unfathomable wisdom results in God's glory alone. And then finally, we'll see that this gospel's undeniable power results in God's glory alone. This biblical gospel results in God's glory alone because it is a gospel of unmerited grace. It is a gospel of unfathomable wisdom. And it is a gospel of undeniable power and all glory goes to God. But before we begin, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading, the teaching, and the receiving of his word this morning, the receiving of his word by which the Lord deals well with us who are his servants. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are God, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself 
most clearly and most evidently and most powerfully in the gospel, in the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, here on earth. Father, we thank you that the truths that we're about to look at give you glory. Father, I pray that this would be the result of this sermon. That we who have walked in here this morning, all of us walked in here this morning, far too focused on ourselves, far too focused on our own needs and opinions, and far too little focused on who you are and what you deserve as being the God that you are. So, Father, I pray that this morning you would create in this body a people of worship. That you would reign over us in our hearts and in our affections. Father, I pray that you would create a zeal in our hearts by who you are. That we would live a life of constant worship and devotion to you. Help us to see that this Christian life It's not a life of drudgery. It is a life of joy as we worship the great beauty. The matchless one. The God of all creation and of our salvation. Humble us and exalt your great name, we pray this morning, through your word and by your spirit. To Jesus Christ's honor, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this biblical gospel results in God's glory alone through three ways. The first way I want you to see this morning is that this gospel's unmerited grace results in God's glory alone. This is the point that I touched on last week near the conclusion of my message, and I want to develop it a little bit more and emphasize it more fully for you this morning. The only reason... Why salvation is for God's glory alone is because, as we saw last week, salvation is by God's grace alone. He gets the glory because he did all the work. If you did anything to merit your salvation, if you contributed in any way, then God doesn't get all the glory, he just gets most of it. That's not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is God did everything for your salvation. You owe everything to him. He gets all the glory. The only reason my salvation is by God's glory alone is because salvation is by God's grace alone. These saving truths build on each other. And the only reason why I can teach this week's message is because last week's message was absolutely true. God gets all the glory for our salvation because he's the only reason for our salvation. We saw this last week. First, God chose us by his grace, remember? He saved us and he called us to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace. Second, God atoned for us by his grace. We are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus by his grace as a gift. Third, God has regenerated us by his grace. We are justified Or even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Fourth, God is sanctifying us by his grace. By the grace of God, we are what we are, and it is not us, but it is God's grace that is within us. 
And finally, God will glorify us by his grace. He who began a good work in us will be the one who finishes it. From eternity past to eternity future, salvation is all of God's grace, and therefore it uh, it is all to his glory. That is exactly the point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 1, 29 through 31. If you turn there, from eternity to past to eternity future, salvation is all to God's glory. Here in this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul has just finished explaining that God called whom he called to salvation. Not because of anything that was in them, but in spite of everything that was in them. Paul reminded the Corinthian Christians that God calls the foolish. God calls the weak. God calls the lowly and the despised ones. God calls those who have absolutely nothing to contribute at all. Why? As Paul says in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 1, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. No human being is saved because of something in them. That is what we repeatedly saw last week. All of salvation from eternity past to eternity future is a gift of God's unmerited, undeserved grace. To such a degree that then Paul summarizes all this teaching in verse 30 by simply saying, and because of him. That is, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. That's it. So this morning, why are you in Christ Jesus? Because of God. That's why. Because of God, not because of yourself. If you're saved this morning and are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why do you find yourself in such a blessed, eternal state? Answer, because of God. He chose you, he died for you, he regenerated you, he justified you, he's sanctifying you, and he will glorify you someday. He has done it all. It's all to grace, how great a debtor daily we are constrained to be, all to grace. It's because of grace, it's to him, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, end of verse 30, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of those things are given to you by God's grace in Christ Jesus, end of verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. The Lord. In other words, you're in Christ Jesus by grace alone so that no human being will ever boast except in God alone. God deserves all the glory because God did all the work. So this biblical gospel results in God's glory alone because first it is a gospel of unmerited grace. It's a gospel he performed, not a gospel we contribute to. Next, this biblical gospel results in God's glory alone because second, it is a gospel of unfathomable wisdom. Unfathomable wisdom. This gospel's unfathomable wisdom results in God's glory alone. This comes from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. If you turn there, wonderful. This deserves to be its own sermon, but I don't have time for that this morning. Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Another way that this gospel results in God's glory alone is because this way of salvation alone displays for us the unfathomable wisdom of God. In Romans chapter 11, Paul has just finished a wondrously vast exposition of the gospel for 11 whole chapters. 
Paul has dived deep into each and every one of the truths that we have only taken six weeks to go through. And after coming to the ultimate conclusion in verse 32, that God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all, he then says this in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We've spent just six weeks studying this good news of salvation that we're to believe. Paul spent 10 chapters, which is like well over a year by my speed of preaching. And Paul comes to the end of it all and basically says, wow, I haven't even scratched the surface of what's revealed here in the gospel. Paul is absolutely blown away by the unfathomable wisdom of God. Believer, is the gospel boring to you? Do you think you've got it covered? Oh, if it's boring to you, you don't even know it yet. You don't know what you don't know. Paul comes to the end, he's blown away by the unfathomable wisdom of the gospel, and so he gives glory to God in these verses through three exclamations, three questions, and three prepositions. So first, in light of the gospel's unfathomable wisdom, Paul gives three exclamations. Look at verse 33. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. This is where a proper understanding of the gospel always leads you. It leads you directly to worship. To awe in the worship of God. Over the last 11 chapters, Paul has wrestled with some very difficult and deep truths and tensions. And having delved deep into the mind and the saving plans and purposes of God, Paul comes to the utter end of his understanding and standing on the absolute brink of all that he knows, Paul looks over the edge and he gives glory to God alone. He doesn't attempt to step out in self-pride, earthly wisdom, or human logic. He simply comes to the end of it all, beholds the vast vista of God's unfathomable wisdom, and he gets down on his face and worships God. He gives glory to God alone through three exclamations, second through three questions. Verses 34 through 35, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to the Lord that he might be repaid? And the answer is the same on all counts. No one. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Who has been his counselor? No one. 
Who has ever given a gift to God that he might be repaid for that gift? No one. Who could have ever imagined that God would have chosen forgiveness by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as the only way of salvation? No one. Just look around. Every man-made religion on the face of this earth says this is what you most must do to climb your way up to God. But in the Bible, God says this is everything that I have done in coming down to save you. You don't have to do anything to be forgiven. You just have to believe in what God has said, that forgiveness and eternal life is there in Christ, and you humbly accept it for the gift that it is. Who could have imagined that? No one. Who could have ever thought of saying to God, let me give you some advice, God. The best way to beat sin is to let sin beat you. And the best way to get rid of sin is to take it upon yourself. And the best way to triumph over evil is to have it momentarily triumph over you. And the best way to have sinners become righteous is to have all the people who need to change do nothing and have the God who doesn't need to change do everything. Who would have imagined that? The best way to accomplish your eternal glory and rule over all is to die a shameful death as the servant of all. No one could have known that. No one would have ever suggested that. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? This plan of salvation, all the glory goes to God. Only he could have planned it. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Ooh, look at that verse. In other words, who in all eternity will ever be able to say, Hey, God, I have something that you never gave me. This is mine. It's all mine. So if you really want it, you got to do this for me. I'll give you this if you give me something back, right? No one can ever say that. You know why? Because everything is God's already. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell in it. Oh, the pride of man. Look at me, God. I'm giving God all my money. Really? Who do you think gave you that money? Look at me. I'm giving God my time. Really? Who do you think gave you the air to breathe, the heart that beats, the day to live? Look at me. I'm giving God my faith. I'm giving God my obedience Really? Who do you think gave you that faith by which you believe and that faith by which you obey him? Again, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, do not boast as if you did not. Listen, beloved, you bring nothing to your salvation except the sin you need to be forgiven of. That's it. Verse 36 For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. Three exclamations, three questions, three prepositions to the glory of God. From him are all things. God is the source of all things. Through him are all things. God is the sustainer of all things. And to him are all things. God is the goal of all things. 
God is the source, the sustainer, and the goal of all things, especially, believer, of your salvation. Salvation is from him. He is the source. Salvation is through him. He is the sustainer. Salvation is to him. He is the goal. God is the source, the sustainer, and the goal of our salvation. Therefore, Paul concludes in verse 36, to him be glory forever. Amen. Glory belongs to God, so give it to him. Salvation is not of man. God alone saves. Salvation is not up to man. God alone keeps. And salvation is not for man. God alone is glorified. So here we see the ultimate purpose for our salvation is not psychological. It is doxological. It is this good news of salvation is designed by the unfathomable wisdom of God to give all the glory to God alone. Which explains why you and I are here this morning on earth in this church service about to go into another week where we will be surrounded by unsaved, unredeemed individuals. This may come as a shocker, but God did not save you to take you to heaven. Should I let that sit for a little bit? God did not save you to take you to heaven. If that was the purpose, then why were you not immediately transported there the moment you believed? No, God saved you, and He has allowed to keep you here even till this morning. Why? So that you might serve and glorify Him on earth until He calls you home. Before a watching world. God has saved you. And He is saving people all across the globe right now so that all of this life would be lived for the praise and glory of God alone. Which brings us to our final reason why this gospel glorifies God. This biblical gospel glorifies God alone because it is the gospel of God's unmerited grace, it is the gospel of God's unfathomable wisdom, and finally, it is the gospel of God's undeniable power. Undeniable power. This gospel's undeniable power results in God's glory alone. And for this, I want you to turn back to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 27. And in this chapter, God is telling the people of Israel what he's going to do when he brings about a new covenant. Let's start in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel writes, God says to Ezekiel, excuse me, in verse 22, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. So God's saying, I'm about to do something for my glory. I'm about to act for the sake of my holy name. My holy name, end of verse 22, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. 
That's the track record and the testimony of Israel when you study them in the Old Testament. They, as a nation, were created to glorify God by reflecting His character. They were to be the firstborn son of God as a nation among the nations. And yet, time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, they turned away from God to worthless idols, to foreign kings, to empty pleasures. They became just like the world around them. And thus they brought upon themselves God's wrath. For rather than glorifying God and magnifying his holy name, they profaned God and dishonored his holy name by how they lived. To such a point, God finally says this, enough is enough. Verse 23, he says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. In other words, not only did the unsaved people profane his name, not only did the the nations that didn't know God, but even Israel, the nation that did know God, profaned his name. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when, oh, listen to this, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. In other words, God is saying enough is enough. You will not profane and dishonor my name any longer. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to establish something new that will guarantee that I am glorified through you, through the people that bear my name. And what is that new thing that God's going to establish? Let's look at verse 24 and following. It is the new covenant, which all of us as Gentile Christians have been grafted into through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. This is what God is going to do for his glory. He says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is what God says he's going to do for the sake of his holy name. And beloved, this is what God is doing right now by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. First, God forgives his people of all their sins. He washes away all of their uncleannesses and removes from them all of their idolatry. Second, God fills his people with new desires and new thoughts through a new heart and a new inner spirit. Third, God transforms them from the inside out, replacing their dead heart of stone that was dead in trespasses and sins, and he replaces it with a beating heart of flesh that is spiritually alive for the glory of God. Fourth, God indwells his people with his own Holy Spirit. And then finally, God makes his people obedient from the heart and causes them to walk in his statutes and be careful to keep all his, obey all his rules. See, this is the powerful effect that the saving gospel has in the lives of God's people. And it is all done for God's glory. This is what every person who surrenders their life in saving, repentant faith to Jesus Christ looks like. There's no such thing 
is someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and is genuinely saved that does not experience this transformation. Why? Because salvation is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is a give glory to God for the rest of your life. Transforming work. This is the gospel. If you're saved, he is glorifying himself through you. You will not continue in a way that profanes his name among the nations. He will act for the sake of his holy name. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 3 when he says, You must be born again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why? Because the old things did not glorify God, but the new ones will. This is the gospel. It is a gospel of undeniable power. Undeniable power. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is do I see the evidence of this saving gospel in my life? Or am I trusting in something else other than the transforming power of God unleashed in Jesus Christ to save me? Am I trusting in a date that I put in the front of my Bible, a prayer that I said sometime, that I'm living more morally than the other people that are sitting in this room? I have no doubt that there perhaps one day will be someone sitting here this morning who will go right out of these church doors into hell. Don't compare yourself by other people. Compare yourselves to the truths of Scripture. Are you truly born again? Are you born again by the Spirit of God? God ensures that those who bear His holy name will no longer profane it, but will rather glorify it. And God ensures this by completely transforming all those who are his from the inside out by his undeniable power. Why does he do it? It is for the glory of God alone. Ephesians 1.12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In Jesus we have been made, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's all for God's glory. As 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15 says, it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving for the glory of God. See, when we are a first responder and when we believe the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, God forgives us. He transforms us. He indwells us and he makes us obedient from the heart so that he will be glorified through us among the nations. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, God saved you and has kept you here for this purpose so that all of your life would be lived for all of his glory. So that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you would do it all for the glory and honor of God. That's the purpose of salvation. And as Psalms 138 verse 8 says, If you're his, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for you. This is the purpose of salvation, is the glory of God. We see it in this gospel's unmerited grace, unfathomable wisdom, and undeniable power. 
God saves us for his glory alone. So, how do we apply this doctrine of salvation for the glory of God alone to our lives and follow God on a path of personal revival? Answer, worship him. Right? How do you give glory to God? You worship him. You worship the God of your salvation. You give him the glory in two ways. First, worship God in reverent faith. God, by his own mercy and grace, has decided to make a way of salvation for sinners like you and me. He offers you eternal forgiveness and righteousness that you could never earn as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. And he now calls on you this morning to humbly confess your sinfulness before him and call on Jesus Christ to save you. I urge you, do not treat the grace of God with contempt. Embrace the free gift of God that is found through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Surrender your life in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Glorify God by becoming a first responder to the gospel. Glorify God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship him in reverent faith. You do not bring honor or glory to God while refusing to submit to his son, Jesus Christ, in faith. Worship God in reverent faith. Second, worship God in joyful service. In joyful service. God has saved you. And he has kept you here. You are still alive and breathing, at least from what I can tell for most of you this morning. <laughs> you are here for his glory, to advance his kingdom, to exalt his name among those around you. We say, well, how am I supposed to do that, pastor? I get it, okay, I'm supposed to glorify God. How? How do I do that? Believer, that is what the next step of our study about how to be a first responder to the gospel is all about. See, being a first responder to the gospel does not mean, does not end with believe. It continues with some very concrete steps every believer must take if they are to be a first responder to the gospel for the glory of God in this world. You want to glorify God in this world? Then listen to what your Savior tells you to do to honor and glorify Him. You want to assign to God all the value, all the worth, and all the importance that he alone possesses and deserves? And do you want to reflect that worth through your words, through your thoughts, and through your actions to a watching world? Do you want to worship and glorify God, believer? Then Jesus says, here are some very concrete ways to do that. Believe, and then once you believe, go public. Be baptized. Be added to the local church. And then be devoted to building up the body of Christ. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Respond in these ways by being a first responder of the gospel. That, that's what this whole study and what this whole book is all about. This book that we hold in our hands is not a dry list of do's and don'ts. This book you hold in your hands this morning is a worship manual telling you how to live all of life for the glory of God because of what he has done for you. Do you see the joy in service? If you don't, do you know Christ? 
Every command in this book is laid out not to burden us, but to guide us in how to live for the glory of God. Because of the gospel, every act of obedience that I now do as a believer is not done as an act of drudgery or obligation, but rather as an act of selfless service and appreciation for the great things God has done for me. He has given me all in Christ. How can I not give all to him in life and in death? So what's the first and best way to be a first responder to the gospel? Believe it. And then live the rest of your life in worship of your great Savior. Live a life that gives glory to God alone. How do you begin that life of worship? First, believe. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I would urge you, do not walk out those doors. Come and see me after the service up front or grab one of the elders and have them talk to you. This is the first way that you begin a life that honors and glorifies God. Second, Come back next week and learn about what God's obligations are, what, what, his, what his commands are, and how he has instructed us to honor him in this world for his honor and glory through being baptized, added to a local church, and building up that body of Christ. We need to respond to this great God of our salvation in humble faith and joyful service so that all this world would know that we have been saved according to the pages of Scripture alone by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Let's be committed to that, Grace Chapel. All of us here this morning, let's give God the glory for the great things he has done. Come back next week, and let's look at how to begin that life of worship. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ever ask or think, according to the power now at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God to us today that I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you that you brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You are a God of matchless grace father i pray in light of your wondrous grace in light of your wondrous wisdom and because of your wondrous power we would go forth from this place living a life before the eyes of a watching world a life that honors and glorifies you alone may we exalt honor and adore only you for the sake of your holy name this week. Help us right now, Father, before we leave, make the right decisions in our own hearts and minds so that you would receive the glory from our outward lives because of how we have worshipped you in our inner man. Give us grace, Father, we pray, towards this end. In Jesus' name, amen.